DJ and PK, we are joined now by Riley Jensen, our college football insider and mental performance coach. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best state award winner, Smart Rain, has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties to sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. Riley, good morning. What's happening, fellas? Well, there's some big football games in front of us. We're getting right down to it. Next to last week of the regular season, there are only three games matching ranked teams. 10 o'clock in the morning on ABC, it's Michigan State and Ohio State. That's number seven and number four. At one thirty, Arkansas and Alabama, 21st ranked Arkansas, trying to take down the Crimson Tide on uh, CBS. Good Good luck with that. And then at 5.30, prime time, it's the Utes and the Ducks. And everyone outside of the Pac-12 will be rooting for Utah to beat Oregon, knock them out of the playoff spot, open the door for somebody else, fill in the name of your school here. So the question to you is, what are the odds the Utes are going to do the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the SEC runner-up and Cincinnati and Notre Dame a favor and take one team out of the mix? Well, I think just like the Pac-12 this year, I think the, the Utes are hard to read, right? I mean, you have you have a Stanford game where they look like they're, they're world beaters. You have an Arizona game where, uh, you know, not everything was as crisp and as clean as they would hope. Um, I do think that this type of a game, you don't you don't have to do a lot to get your guys up for it. I mean, they're obviously going to be excited. They're obviously going to be motivated. They're obviously going to be, you know, focused in on the task at hand. Um, this is this is an interesting Utah team. If I asked you guys, out of Utah, Utah State, and BYU, who who is the highest scoring offense? Would have you guessed that it would be Utah? I mean, I I, I just didn't see that. I, I I don't think I felt that. And then I started looking through deeper into some of the stats. This is this is a fairly good offensive team for the University of Utah when it comes to third down conversions, when it comes to scoring, when it comes to keeping the chains moving. There's there's a lot of good things going on offensively. And so I'm I'm really interested to see what they do. Um, obviously, you know, when you think about Oregon, you always think about speed. But but un, under under this coach, this has definitely been a team that has tried to improve their toughness and improve their their line of scrimmage play. And I actually think that because of that, that the youths actually line up better against Oregon than maybe some other teams that try and spread you out and go side to side on the sidelines instead of going downhill on you. And those are the teams that I've seen Utah struggle with in the past more than I've seen teams that try and go downhill. And I feel like this Oregon team is a team that's going to try and run it, and they're going to try and establish the run, and they're going to try and keep running up the middle until they break through, and that I think that bodes well for the University of Utah. Yeah, I do too. How much does it matter when you get in that huddle and everybody in that huddle believes the quarterback can make a play? Oh, I think I think it makes a big difference, and 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 sometimes it's just the perception that he can make a play, right? Like it doesn't even have to be warranted. Now it's better in the case of of you know this case with the quarterback at the University of Utah, you. You know that he has money in the bank. You know that he he's made plays and that these guys are believing in him. But sometimes it can just be perception. But there's no question that, and I I think I've given this example before. But when 
when a guy's playing really well for you and you really believe in him, it takes the pressure off of playing perfectly. And when you're just trying to play excellent and you don't have to play perfect, it's weird that you'll, you'll, you'll kind of expand your play. And I'll, and I'll give an example, and I think I gave this example at Utah State the other day, but when you have a really good wide receiver, and when I played in college, I played with Kevin Curtis, and his, what I would call catching radius, was so wide, right? Like, you could, you could throw it high, you could throw it to the side, you could throw it low, he was going to catch the ball. And then what happens is, is all of a sudden, because there's no pressure on me to be perfect on those throws, you start throwing to him better. Right, you start putting it right on his helmet because you don't feel that pressure to do it, and I think that's true with this offensive line, especially that with Rising playing quarterback, that the offensive line doesn't have to be perfect. They don't have to win every single battle, and he can bail you out of some of those things and make you look good and not make you look bad by by missing your guy, and then it's automatically a sack. He actually will escape. He'll make a play with his feet. He'll make a play with his arm. And then what happens is it takes the pressure off, and all of a sudden you ease into your job as an offensive lineman, and it's easier to be excellent than it is to be perfect, especially from the mental aspect of things. Riley Jensen joining us. So when you look at Utah's offense versus Oregon's defense, especially if Utah's offense is shorthanded, uh, maybe Tavon Thomas will be back. Maybe they just held him out for one week and make sure he was ready for this game. And when you look at uh, you know uh, Bernard's ability to catch out of the backfield, assuming he can go too, have they got all the answers no matter what Oregon does? Or is there some point here where the Oregon defense can be the team that uh, holds the Utah offense down a little bit and maybe they don't get 30 points and maybe they don't get the 450 yards that Kyle Winningham is talking about every week? Well, I, I certainly think, and again, I, I'm not trying to bail out on this question, but it's really hard to predict with, with the Pac-12, right? Because you have this Oregon team that's played really, really well in some games and then it's had some head scratchers. I mean, if you wanted to take head-to-head battles and you look at the Stanford game for the University of Utah and then you look at the Stanford game for Oregon, you go, oh, well, Utah's going to run away with this. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think both of these teams are going to be up for this game, but I do. I my personal gut feeling is that Oregon, with its team speed and with with some schemes, and then not not they're not going to overlook Utah. Utah's past the point where they like go into a game against a Pac-12 opponent and they're overlooked in any way, shape, or form. And so the guys, the players on that team are going to be up for this game. You know, there's a couple of local guys with Noah Sewell, and you got Jackson Powers White that are that that play. They're going to be excited to play against the University of Utah. They're going to be talking about some of the guys and giving scouting reports to the guys that play, they played with in high school. I just feel like this is going to have a big game atmosphere. I think it's going to come down to to three or four plays that are super important, and the team that's most dialed in for those three or four plays is going to be the team that wins this game. And I don't think. I, I could not see this game being more than a 10-point win for either team. How do you handle Thibodeau, the great defensive end, edge rusher, linebacker type of guy who's just so good? So I think, uh, you know, my, my experience as an offense coordinator is this. You, you see a guy on film, he looks really good, he makes great plays. I think you always give your guys the confidence that you can do it with your normal scheme. 
but you also have contingency plans in for somebody like Thibodeau. He's he's, he's an unbelievable rush end. He's, he, he influences the run game with his ability to get upfield and get on guys. But you don't want to take away you don't want to take away from your offensive line and your guys, and they're they're also Pac-12 football players that that play really good football. So I think I think you start the game and you just. You, you play it straight up. You see if it's possible to block him with one guy, if it's possible to use those schemes. And then then if it's not, then you get creative. You bring a tight end over. You try and block him with two different guys. You, you know, in your passing game, you, you would chip, or not even chip, but double team with an offensive lineman and your, and your running back. But those are things that you kind of scheme in, in your opening series, right? So you, you're running some of the plays that you think you want to run, and you're kind of looking to see, like, is, is he going to be consistently, you know, a problem today or not? And that's really what the first eight plays or the first nine plays, plays of the game are, is to find out, like, can we handle Thibodeau? What kind, of, what kind of defense are they going to line up when we're in trips? What kind of defense are they going to line up when we're in two-back? What are they going to do when we're in one-back? And that's what – that's what those first eight to ten plays are for, so you can fill out. And then you can eliminate half of the playbook and go, okay, this is the way we need to handle it going forward. But in general, when you have a great player like him, you've got to use the screen game to slow him down a little bit. You've got to run at him a little bit. You've got to run away from him a little bit. And I always think, I always think with great players that are on the D-line, it's important to get going side to side with your run game. Get those guys running a little bit. See if you can get them a little bit tired in the first half so that in the second half you can really like kind of go at them in a normal way when you get to the second half. So the whole psychology of this game is all – you can totally outthink yourself all over the place here. One, you got you fans who are worried, well, it great blowing Stanford out. Now, we got to admit Stanford rolled over. I mean, they had some guys quit. Arizona right. did not – Arizona may not be good enough, but they kept playing. Now they weren't yep. they weren't good enough ultimately, but they kept playing. And maybe the youths got caught looking ahead, like, yeah, we beat one last place team. Here comes another one. I mean, well, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. So they didn't quite bring that extra level of energy that I assume they're gonna bring to this Oregon game. But you're also probably gonna play Oregon again in two weeks with much higher stakes. So you're the mental performance coach here. How much should coaches be getting their guys fired up? How much should guys be trying to you know, not play out of their mind? Or there's one game per week, don't worry about it, you amp yourself up every Saturday or Friday night in the case of the Stanford game and the Pac-12 title game, and you just go with that and stop out thinking the room. Yes, I think, I, look, the, the, you know, let's go 1-0 and this week. Whatever the coach cliche is, they're actually, they're, they're fa- in my opinion, they're fairly psychologically sound because what, you, what you're really trying to tell players is you just need to be focused on the moment. If you start thinking about two weeks down the line as a coach and as a player, you start going too far into the future. Now you're trying to control things that you can't control. You can only control the here and now. I do think that you, you, you want to manage a little bit that first quarter of them getting too hyped up for an opportunity like this, Right. You want to you want to play well, and um, regardless of the outcome, you want to feel like you were focused in, you were dialed in, and that you're playing the best football that you can play. Now, if that results in you playing again in two weeks, which I think we all know on the outside is probably likely, um, that's great. But what you want what you want from these guys is just to be hyper focused on this week and this opponent 
and what you're trying to do right here, right now. And that's really how people who are successful in life are. They're not, they're not distracted at nine in the morning while they're, you know, um, on a phone call with DJ and PK on like all the things that they have to do during the day. They're just focused. They're here. They're, they're interested in the conversation. They're talking about those things. And then when they get to those things during the day, then they're hyper-focused on those things. And, you know, that's true in golf. That's true in life. That's true in football. It's just to, to do the best that you can to really stay present in the moment. And there's lots of tricks to that. But I think coaches are pretty good about playing that game with the guys. Like, hey, this is the most important game on our schedule right now. And I think if those guys think in those terms – and they play well, that win or lose, when they get a chance to play them in the Pac-12 championship, it'll be good for them. It'll be really good for them. Oh, is it my turn? I lost focus. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you were thinking about all the things that, all the important things that you need to do today instead of talking to me, right? So, lie yeah. on the sofa, watch sports, lie on the sofa more, go to the fridge, get food, watch sports. Yeah, our days are pretty complicated. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a feeling 100. percent So I've been uh, taking. Must have taken three naps yesterday. So I probably got some more on. Oh on my tap gosh. For, naps for are today. so underrated. They are so <laughs> underrated. Naps are so underrated. I think I took two before noon, and then around 4:30, I went down for another one. Put up a sign: "Do not disturb." Uh, you're doing it right, PK, because that means there's not a lot of stress in your life. If you fall asleep <laughs> in the middle of the day, you're doing good, man. Or I'm just uh, good at ignoring it, one of the two. Um, so Okay. So uh, that's also very healthy. I don't think you know how psychologically healthy that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel 100%. I feel so much better, man. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Utah's defense has shown a little vulnerability. They've got a running quarterback, and the Cats had some success in that way last Saturday. What do you think Oregon is going to do to attack the defense? Well, I think, I think what you have to be careful of when you, when you have a good running quarterback is getting too excited about that on, on relying on that. Um, if, if you'll remember when Tyler Huntley was here, one of the things that um, frustrated me about Tyler, and I think he's really kind of grown into his own as a pro now and all those sorts of things, and I think he did that at the University of Utah by the time he was in his last year of starting, but when when you are a running quarterback, there's there's a temptation to do one of two things. One is to prove to everybody that you can really run the ball and just to show off how good you can run the ball. Or number two, show off to everybody that, hey, I'm not just a runner, I can throw the ball. I think the key for Oregon is to just make sure that he stays within himself, that he runs the ball when he should run the ball, and that he throws the ball when he should throw the ball on time. And those are the most dangerous quarterbacks because if you get a beat on the fact that he's jumpy and he wants to get out and run, it's a lot easier to defend than if it naturally happens within the context of the offense. And those are the back-breaking quarterbacks. I think that's why Jaron Hall's playing at a high level, right? I think that's why this quarterback at Oregon can play at a high level is because they do it within the context of the offense. I think Cam Rising has an ability to do that as well. And so when, when a quarterback runs when he's supposed to run, and he throws when he's supposed to throw. That's much more dangerous than just really trying to force the issue of running the ball. Now, when he does run, it's dangerous. I think Utah's going to have to make some sort of an adjustment. They're going to have to think about a spy technique. That doesn't always work very well because then all of a sudden you're taking a guy out of the defense and he's just watching the quarterback waiting for him to run. 
and you're kind of taking them out of the pass game and the run game when you do that. So it's a, it's a tough deal. When, it, when a quarterback does it well, it's, it's really, really tough on defenses. Your Aggies now have two teams that look like they're overmatched on the way to their division title. You buying your tickets to the Mountain West Conference title Let's game? Not that you know where Aggies. it's going to be. Let's talk about the Aggies, baby. <laughs> that was, hey man, this is a fun team, and uh, I I should have bought in like TK a long time ago. I can't believe I didn't I didn't I wasn't drinking the Kool Aid early in the season. But this is a confident bunch. This is a team that's really, really fun to watch. Um, I had the opportunity to talk to a, a player on the team that I coached in high school, and he goes, he, he was kind of giving me all the coach speak at first. He's like, ah, you know, Coach Anderson, he's just an incredible motivator. and uh, You know, the team's really come together. And I'm like, hey, dude, like, this is Riley, man. Like, tell me the truth. Don't. And he goes, no, I'm telling you, man, like, things have come together. I feel like he doesn't go – overboard on the motivation, but he does enough to like keep you fired up. He goes, all the guys that have transferred in and all the guys that have been on the team are getting along really well right now. And he just said, this is a team that doesn't care about who gets the success. And I, I just really like that comment because to me, that means guys' egos are checked at the door and they're just like, whoever, whatever it takes to win, we're, we're all in. And, that, and that's what I like about this team. Yeah, you know, Tompkins has had an unbelievable year. He's leading the nation in receiving. He, you know, he makes unbelievable catches. But there's all kinds of guys that are, that are making plays up there. And it's, it's a fun team to watch. Really, really fun team to watch. So I think, I think, yes, I think I do need to buy my Mountain West Conference tickets. I'll probably buy them Saturday right after the game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Riley, as always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Tim Lacombe, Utah Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, is going to join us at 9 o'clock as the Jazz take it to the Philadelphia 76ers. Get ready for Toronto coming in tomorrow night. Jazz looked really good, but how much is that? Is the Jazz playing really well? And how much of that is Philly was very shorthanded? We will get to that next. Stay with us.